Welcome to another episode of Quarantine the Past. My name is Juan Rodriguez, and uh, for this bonus episode, we have a very special guest. Uh, Sean Caldwell is joining us. Uh, Sean has been a longtime member of No Ripcord, uh, I'd say probably since 2008, right? I think. That sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is uh, even before uh, my time. I think I started a year after. So, uh, so yeah, it's so basically I brought in Sean because he always has some very uh, interesting musical selections that veer more into niche genres that that I tend to appreciate a lot, whether it's uh, stuff like post-hardcore, noise, punk, sludge, no wave, you name it, some experimental, and uh, which are not genres that I feel like generally we don't discuss on the regular show. So now that we are in uh, the year-end ballots and uh, uh, we get a lot of interesting picks uh, this year. So there's a little bit more crossover than usual. Um, although I have to say, Sean, uh, compared to other years, there, there was a good amount of crossover. Like I, a lot of your picks, I, I feel like in past years, sometimes uh, some some picks would, wouldn't necessarily get uh, voted by other people. But I, I feel there was a, a decent amount of records that were chosen by some of the other writers on staff. So. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I think I was, <laughs> I've tried to be, I guess, more accommodating to to now. I guess, um, I don't know, as we all get older, I think we all fall into the dangers of the taste freeze, where we sort of venture into our comfort zones and don't necessarily challenge those. I find myself trying to do that more and more. Like, I, I obviously have my allegiances, right. but uh, to some extent, it, it's good to venture outside of those because you do find you know, you may have more in common with more than you think you normally do. So if, if I'm uh, if I'm finding crossover, I think that's good. Yeah, it, it's sort of like a validation that maybe you are venturing out a little bit more, but it could be the other way around. It could be that other people are maybe venturing into other genres as well. But I feel like, and, and I think this is more like endemic of just kind of music culture right now, where I feel like with some certain genres, uh, it's more of a challenge to find things these days. And unless like some sort of like blog is kind of championing some new band, it's it's kind of harder to find. So so it's harder to find these correlations where it's like, you know, what's like the best that you can find from like from like a genre. And even for myself, I'm like, well, it is it because it's lacking or is it because there's just too much and it's kind of hard to consolidate <laughs> all these uh, opinions and you know all the and taste in general so I think there's too much <laughs> um I mean some of the some things I found just because of bandcamp recommendations other times it was you know things that were emailed to me sometimes it was just me taking a chance on something that I found at the store um which isn't outside of the you know the typical way you discover things but there does seem to be a ton these days and I'm not, I don't know if I want to like put a ton of weight behind this, but I feel like a lot of the, uh, the best of picks have varied quite a bit this year. Oh, I'm okay. normally used to seeing the same top 10. I think I'm seeing a lot of variations on the top 10 with maybe like three or four records that seem to kind of carry over, but yeah, it's interesting. I feel, I feel like, um, Again, because the avenues are so vast these days, I feel like a lot of writers are just finding things and they're, you know, other avenue and other channels probably aren't finding those same things, but, you know, maybe finding them later. I think I added like, honestly, 20 records to check out in the last two weeks, which is, you know, funny considering that, you know, we're, we're at the end of 2022. 
So yeah, from that standpoint, it's good that there's so much going on, but at the same time, it's, it's overwhelming for all, for those of us that are trying to cover it all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this year, I think going into 2023, I'm still going to be discovering a lot of stuff because again, it's just probably that just Bandcamp overall has changed things. And I know that a lot of people, I, I, I tend to not really follow recommendations through Spotify or Apple Music or or whatever. I feel like I need to be a little bit better about these like discover uh, avenues. Uh, I tend to be a I don't know, for some reason, I, I I try to like stay in my lane and I don't try to venture too much via streaming, but I feel like Bandcamp is a good place to just like, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a certain genre, it's, you can usually find something and it's kind of like a wormhole where you can just maybe disappear forever if you just yeah. keep looking. It's true. Yeah. So basically we, so Sean and I came up with, um, since we're kind of thinking about the year end list, we're thinking about what are some of the records that stood out for us. These are not necessarily endorsements in terms of what will make our top 50 list, which we're kind of working on right now and in terms of getting it together. But those are more kind of in in the sense, we wanted to choose some albums that really stuck out to us this year uh, from Sean's side and from mine. And there are some um, some correlations there, but there's also some albums that uh, maybe I have a little less knowledge of or things that maybe Sean likes a little bit more than I do. But at the same time, I think we came up with a good uh, number of picks here. Uh, so yeah, let's start with it. And I think uh, one of the albums that you and I tend to be in agreement with and came out um, early-ish in the year, I, I'd say maybe mid-year, um, is the band called Chat Pile. And I wanted to ask you about this one because I, I know that it's an album that you like. And this one, I came late into it. And I think it almost, it pretty much made my top five of the year. So what do you like about uh, this record uh, from Chat Pile? So this one was interesting because I feel like it garnered, like I was saying earlier about uh, the top lists, this one seemed to kind of be one of those that carried over into multiple, you know, top 10 lists. And it's interesting because of what kind of album this is. It is, uh, I mean, basically a, uh, how would I put this? Let's see. Right. Uh, <laughs> kind of a frustrated, anxiety-inducing industrial level and down-tuned Sonic Mud type of album. And the central cast seems to be the city of Oklahoma, or Oklahoma City, I should say. God's Country is basically where Chad Powell comes from, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which is, has been referred to as basically the, the buckle of the Bible belt. <laughs> so if you considered God's Country to be somewhat of an anthology series on Oklahoma City and each song basically a harrowing tale of things taking place in Oklahoma City. It would be 
a a terrible endorsement for Oklahoma City, um, and b also somewhat of a negative <laughs> look on the country in general. I guess. Right. I mean, it's a rough album. I mean, the music itself. I've seen some com- some some comparisons to new metal, almost like it's a, would be a resurgence, which I would almost agree with. Following two Woodstock '99 documentaries, like there right. there would be maybe an uptick in interest for that. But I don't hear that really at all. I'm more in the Godflesh Unsane camp with a lot of this stuff. I know the the drums are live, but they sound industrial. Like they're yeah. they're very machined, factorial, almost as bleak as the content. Uh, the vocals are very loud, frustrated narration. I, I kind of hear somewhat of what like what Daughters was doing with you won't get what you want to some extent. There's there there's that like um a negative atmosphere almost to the level of trying to scare you, freak you out a little bit. Yeah. Um but again it's 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 talky, but you know, it's it's a scream talk, obviously. Yeah. But 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 there's not a lot of like it's not following rhythm necessarily. I think there might be like a couple instances, but for the most part, it's like prosaic. And as far as the content goes, I mean some of it's very obvious, like like uh, why the song why this was the second track on the record uh, doesn't leave a whole lot of mystery. It's it's uh, basically um, it's questioning why the country seems to be okay supporting an economic and financial system that does more to cause its citizenry citizenry. Sorry, I'm having a hard time talking. Citizenry no, <laughs> experience being houseless as opposed to being secure. You know, which is, you know, it's, it's a valid point. And then other times, like the opening track is Slaughterhouse. That could very well be about an abattoir. <laughs> but but at the same time, there's an implication that it may not just be animals we're talking about. It could also be the people serving in the abattoir. Like I said, on the surface, it does seem obvious. But the more you listen to it, the more you realize that it, it there could be more than, you know, there could be the actual literal meaning of what they're trying to say. But at the same time, you know, something some subtext or something that we're supposed to sort of you know yeah. derive from these verses i think no. that's what i actually find mo- the most fascinating about it is that the, the the lyrics are actually pretty minimal but in being minimal they conjure more questions than answers i guess no that's a that's a good point and i think what the contrast that i saw especially in the lyrical content is that some of it, like why, for example, is a little bit more on the nose and, and it almost yeah. has a, a, a protest kind of element to it. But then yes. at the same time, you, you go into some of the other tracks, which it, it almost feels like you're reading things from an unreliable narrator who's kind of from yes. the point of view of somebody who's uh, doesn't have the best intentions. And that's where it, it's not a point where it brings the grotesque, but there is something uh, that can bring a lot of horror in terms of the illusions that it brings in the lyrical content. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's really fascinating with me. And I totally get what you mean as well about the references. I don't necessarily get the new metal references, if if anything. You and it's really good that you kind of brought it to like these more modern influences like daughters because I that's that's definitely a a touchstone there. But Godless was a band that I also kind of wrote in in my in my notes. Um, I think anyone who even if in terms of rhythm and not necessarily like the more in you know like Godless you listen to the drums and it's it almost feels like like an industrial kind of chug, right? But when yes. the, the rest of it feels more, a little bit more organic and it feels more rough around the edges. And then so you, so anyone who likes stuff like 
helmet, I think would appreciate this, you know, like yeah, early. Um, yeah. So it, it's like the touchstones are there. I, I'm sure even if not necessarily musically, if you like Henry Rollins as well, you're going to really like this too, in terms of just the way that he really likes to, to, to express and shout, but at the same time, there's a musicality to it. And I think mm -hmm. there's, there's something that I really like about this one that I, I just keep coming back to it. And, and even regardless of how, how abrasive it is, it, it's very tuneful of parts too. And I think that's what is what separates it from other albums in this kind of vein, I feel. I would agree with that. I, I feel like it, it's likely that the reason it has made so many lists is that it's, has no constraint whatsoever with how noisy it is, but at the same time, there's something to it that's not alienating. I think in a lot of like in a lot of instances with noise bands and um, you know post-hardcore bands and you know bands of that it basically like the uh, the entire roster of amphetamine reptile or you know something along those lines. There there does there is a tendency for those bands to um, uh, they're they're playing to their audience. They're not necessarily trying to appeal to anyone outside of that audience. And whether they know it or not, I think Chad Pyle has actually kind of succeeded in doing that. And it and it could be because they're building their audience now. I mean, this is their debut record. They don't know who they're playing to. They just know they're they're playing to somebody. And it, apparently it appeals to a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thanks for that. That's that's uh, one of Sean's picks. And uh, so now I kind of wanted to, to bring uh, one of mine and... I guess uh, let's let's start with Black Midi because Black Midi is an interesting one. Black Midi has um, a band from from London. Um, you can call them an experimental band in a way uh, because that's that's definitely their spirit. I mean, they've been around since twenty seventeen, and uh, I think I I have a lot of hate relationship with this band, and I and I and I think it's kind of their intention too. I think that's really what they're going for. And I remember instantly falling in love with uh, Schlagenheim. I'm not sure if I said that correctly, but that was her first record. And I was I was in, instantly really thrust into their, uh, their sound because at the same time, uh, I feel like three albums in, I'm still trying to figure out what, what it is that they're trying to do because every album and especially their new album, it's called Hellfire. It's... I, I can't describe what they're going to sometimes because you hear like these kind of jazzy fusions that they like to do. And then there's a little bit of math rock as well. And then they kind of like veer into prog rock. And then I'm like, well, there's these other, the, there's this other track. Um, I'm kind of forgetting the name right now, but Gordy, uh, he, like the front man of that band, he kind of has like this delivery, like trying to sing like a lounge singer, like Tony Orlando or something, or trying to probably trying to mimic that kind of uh, that, that kind of showmanship, but doing it in a way that's maybe even uh, mocking it a little bit. Um, and that's what I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around this record, because I uh, I'm kind of curious to know what you think about this one, because six months in, I I appreciate how baffling the instrumentation is, but at the same time, there's other aspects that I still haven't quite hit. Uh, I feel like it's their least immediate record so far. I would agree with that. I mean, I I feel like this this record, I think, is supposed to be kind of a continuation of Cavalcade. 
um, which I I enjoyed a lot more, honestly. That one I I do feel like I came to I came back to more. This one, I hate to say it, but it was almost kind of a chore to sit through. Um, and I don't know why because it, it's not a lot different from Cavalcade. I just feel like there may have been maybe there may have been a healthier mixture of the the cabaret stuff, the math rock stuff, and the jazz stuff. I I, I feel like that record maybe kind of mixed it up a little more. This one sort of suffers from bigger better uh and it's you know sometimes less is more the breakneck stops and starts are great yeah that's probably the best thing (laughs) morgan is such a great drummer morgan simpson is the drummer of that band no totally i mean i can't deny their 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 talent is you know as a band i mean what they what they come up with is fantastic um i mean in this case i guess it's like what math addled lounge rock Mm mm-hmm and this was kind of distracting and this is just me, but the, the song Welcome to Hell immediately made me think of John the Fisherman by Primus. Oh yeah, that's a I hadn't thought of and, that, and, but you're and, totally and, right. And, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. like almost the same exact thing. And that's, you know, it, there's 12 notes. It's, it's going to happen. <laughs> that song, The Defense, could have been pulled from a musical. And I felt that way about Dangerous Liaisons too. It, it's, it's, you mentioned Tony Orlando. I was maybe a little kinder and said Scott Walker, like, you know, uh, like, Scott, <laughs> like Scott one era, Scott Walker, like yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe if Scott Walker, that era, like the Walker brothers era, Scott Walker had fronted American football. Oh, wow. Something okay. along those lines. It would have been, you know, maybe not too far removed from what I heard with dangerous liaisons. And that might be a reach, but it's just kind of what I, you know, just a thought I had. Yeah. I don't know. This one, I don't know if it was too much, too, too like <clears throat> too much up front, too much on the back end. Maybe it needed to be sequenced a little differently. I I really don't know. It's just yeah, this one just kind of didn't do it for me. Yeah, and I think I think I appreciate. I like Jordy Greep's vocals more, which is kind of interesting because he his his kind of sing speak is could probably be a turnoff to a lot of people but to be honest like I, I think the ones that I'm still trying to wrap my head around are the ones that are sung by by Cameron Picton who his vocal tonality is very off key <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. um, and and he's the one that I'm kind of having a harder time with uh, his songwriting I'm not sure does he write his songs as well or is it mostly Jordy who, uh, who writes most of it but I feel like maybe it's like one of those things where if Cameron sings, he kind of writes them. I'm not sure, but yeah, I would have to look. I really don't know. Yeah, but yeah, very interesting record. I mean, I, I, again, you could say so many things about it, but "Welcome to Hell," great track. The rest, totally. I'm not so sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's go to your next. So this one, uh, I, I'm I'm really excited to talk about because you and I are big Off fans and. Um, off has kind of had uh, a a very interesting trajectory because of the legacy behind off right but at the same time off is a uh, uh, they've been around for a little over a decade in terms of their recordings mm-hmm. is uh concerned but i i'd love to know your thoughts about off's latest album it's called free lsd yeah this one um this was um not i i mean to your point i've i've i'm a fan of this band and I was not expecting at all what came out of this record. Um, I know that leading up to it, um, 
I mean, I think musically they did kind of hit a, a head a dead end. There's only so you know so much you can do with hardcore before you have to kind of start you know inventing something to, uh, I, I guess use it as a you can use hardcore as a foundation for other things. I mean, we've seen how many examples of hardcore performers just sort of either aging gracefully or uh, just being you know kind of hey you should, probably should slow down a little bit. Keith Morris is in his mid sixties. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but but apparent but can apparently still pull this off. I mean, sort of you know uh, sort of trailing off a little bit. I did see him front uh, Circle Jerks earlier this year, and I oh yeah, still got yeah. it. Like I, I I don't know how, but he still got it. Um, but anyway, this record for ELSD, apparently this is supposed to be the soundtrack to a movie that's um, I think going to come out next year and i know a lot of the basis for this was um a conspiracy talk that uh he and his uh podcast partner pete weiss came up with um the show is called blow mind show and um a lot of the paranoia detailed in the record and the accompanying film uh kind of revolve around a lot of what they talk about on the show. I've never listened to the show, so I can't really speak to any of it, but yeah. that's that's my understanding is that's the case. Um, the talks for Free LSD between Morris and Dimitri Coates, I think had been going on for quite some time and they'd run into uh, a few roadblocks with um, Stephen McDonald and, Mar and Mario Rubicaba. Um, I think Mario went back to Earthless and um, Stephen McDonald, who plays with Red Cross and Melvin's. Yeah, uh, I think they did like a a, Mel a Red Cross. I don't know if it was a, a like a, a tribute or what what the deal was. Like they reunited for a little while. He is a permanent member of the Melvin's at this point. Yeah, and so they were without a rhythm section, <laughs> <laughs> and that is okay because Audrey Fulbright from Annual Will Know Us by the Trail of Dead and Justin Brown who worked with Thundercat. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> um that the the just the level of like musical ingenuity and sophistication they added to what off does blew my mind. And I don't know I mean, I, I knew I knew that this plan had been years in the making, but I didn't real I didn't I don't know if they knew exactly where it was going to go prior to bringing on those two. But yeah, I, I'm I'm so glad they did because the, the whatever dead end they hit may have run into as a simple as you know a, not only say simple but as a as a you know quote unquote traditional hardcore band, they've definitely breached that wall because. I hear like, you know, the Tony Williams Lifetime's emergency record on this, maybe Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh, just the, the way they can jam this out. They they kind of go into metal territory here and there, but it's not noxious. Like uh, uh, they, they maintain a consistent level of speed and energy and they just bring all these other elements into it. And it's it doesn't sound pretentious or played out like it's so no. it's just so good and honestly if the movie sucks i don't care <laughs> right, this album rules and this is their first record for fat possum records i know there, there was some i think there was also some issue with vice who'd released the prior the albums prior one, yeah um, wasted years yeah. but uh but yeah this yeah i could not be happier with this record it's top 10 for me
Absolutely. And, and the thing with off is I would never expect, you know, there's there's a term uh, in, in filmmaking where they call it prestige kind of cinema for like a certain kind of elevated uh, sort of film. And I think that in the realm of hardcore punk, which I think off has completely move it, removed itself while keeping the basic tenets of what hardcore punk is. Uh, the mm -hmm. high level of production is unprecedented in this album. Like if, if you assume that you're going to find like some breakneck 20 minute album that is just going to fizzle in and out, then you're totally wrong because it's like one of those records where even if there's an urgency, it still takes its time to unfurl and it has like these scrunky interludes as well uh, throughout the throughout the record as well. And I mm -hmm. would never expect, and again, you we were talking about the great rhythm section. Again, there's songs like War Above LA, which is almost mathy. Like it has all these different shifts throughout the tracks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. it's like stop and start rhythms. And Tracks Like Ignored is another one that kind of came to mind that also has some experimentation in there. So I think this is, this is what makes like elevates off. And again, I'm so happy that they have uh, that they've brought in, you know, a little bit more help as, as well, because um, it, it seems like even if Keith steers the ship uh, for the most part, he, he does have a really good band behind them. And, and, you know, when you have people who are working for bands <laughs> like Thundercat and, and I've been a fan of Autry's for a long time as well, because mm -hmm. he brought, he brought like an element of, he really augmented a lot of Trail of Dead's kind of ladder work through the to the late 2000s and the 2010s, and uh, and it was such a natural fit for the band. And and you would think mm -hmm. hardcore hardcore punk bands just kind of fizzle, right? Like maybe they have like one good album and then they just kind of disappear. I I hope Off keeps making more records because they really can compete with the rest, really. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think they found they found a really excellent avenue. Yeah, I hope they can I, I do hope they can kind of keep this going. I really, really enjoyed this record uh quite a bit. And again, um I I kind of thought they could go as far as they could and they found a way. So more power to them. We've been proven wrong. <laughs> so so yeah, so let's uh Go to uh, another one of, uh, maybe I should go to one of my picks now. Um, so this band I've I've loved for a long time. The, their name is Die, 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 which is not the most inviting name for a band, but um, <laughs> they've been around since the mid-2000s. They're a trio from New Zealand, and their new album is called This Is Not An Island, which I think is their best record since probably Promises, Promises, which was kind of their, their revelatory period where a lot of people discovered them. And it, it could be because I, I think I'll, Steve Albini worked on that record, and I think that always brings more visibility to, to bands. But, but then kind of Die, Die, Die went through a phase of bring you a, a little bit more like electronic elements to kind of their their noise pop sound because it, it essentially is noise pop in a way but but what's special about this one is that they brought back their original band member um uh, it's a trio uh Andrew Wilson Michael Prane and Lachlan Anderson and, and Lachlan is the one who came in he's the 
he was the original basis of the band. And you can already tell that he's back because what, what really makes this band special for me is that they have the best bass lines <laughs> uh, and they, they're really good at recording bass lines. And I think this is what makes this album even special in a way. But outside of that, you're going to hear a lot of stop-start rhythms, spoken word passages that are very in a post-hardcore realm, shrill guitar lines, uh, again, very simple guitar lines, but you know, just a little pedal work can do a lot for you, right? So so I love this record a lot. I, I, I think it was like one of my early favorites. And again, it's about usually things like, you know, you always think like New Zealand is a Shangri-La idyllic place, but you know, they, they bring some socially conscious elements to, to the record and which are, are very much needed when you're not really in the know about these things. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Did, did you get a chance to listen to this one? I did. Um, it's, it's, and it's funny too, like I, I actually, I found out about this, I, I, a promo was sent to me, I think in February. And I remember like checking it out and being like, oh, this is really cool. I'll have to keep this in mind. And for some reason, it just fell off my radar. I don't know why. And then when you, when I knew we were going to talk about this, I did check it out again. And I was like, yeah, why did I, dude, this is awesome. I'm a sucker for a muddy bass riff. This has yeah. a lot of those. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually, funny enough, I, I know um, to your point about Albini, I, I knew he'd done a couple of the early ones. I actually thought he did this one as well. Um, the I know he didn't, but the the drum sounds especially seem to yeah. kind of ring his signature sound. Um, so, but yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, I don't know if I have more to add to to everything you said because I kind of I pretty much agree with everything you're saying I like yeah. that track uh, losing sight keep on kicking I think that was my favorite track on the record oh yeah it's your favorite. I, I think vanish is, is my favorite one I, I, I tend to like songs that kind of start with like a menacing kind of stump and then they just like completely go off the rails afterwards and I, I think that tension is what makes this record uh special in a lot of ways just just kind of it has some unpredictable shifts but at the same time uh there's a there's a nihilism in, in terms of the presentation and i really I, I really hope they keep with this uh trio because um it, it's obvious that once you bring the magic of what made your band kind of special in the first place and you know we all have our reasons to kind of top out you know life mm -hmm. gets real sometimes but hopefully they have an album or two more left than them afterwards so yeah good record die 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 check it out um so next we're going to talk about another record that we both like a lot um and i'm brad you kind of brought it to my attention because you wrote about this record and i and just being a follower of sacred bones for the most part i i, I tend to follow a lot of their releases but for some reason 
I, I took the soft moon. We're talking about the soft moon now, uh, which is a band that I've, or you could say a solo project almost, but mm -hmm. I kind of took for granted for a while because there's a level of consistency to this project that really, for a while, I completely stopped listening to it, except for like the early records. And then you, I think you pitched this one to me and I was like, oh, sweet. So there's a new Soft Moon, Soft Moon album. Maybe I should check it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is... This is like a void that I've been trying to get back into. And and mm -hmm. so the what's the name of the record? Oh my gosh, I didn't write it. Oh, it's Existor. Existor, yeah. So yeah. so yeah, I love to know more about what kind of uh, brought you into this project and uh what do you like about it? I mean, I'm I have my my thoughts about it, but I I love I love to know. I mean, you you wrote a really good review about it, which kind of goes into some of like the motifs but it, it is in an essence an industrial record right <laughs> in essence yeah yeah and and I mean I will I I have been sort of following I, I guess like you um it, the his name is Luis Vasquez yeah. um I've been following his work I guess for a number of years now and it's something I've always appreciated but have always found may have you know unintentionally been stifled by the fact that his work is so evocative like it is really difficult to hear a soft moon record without thinking of like i mean i mean you're you're going to immediately go to nih nails you're going to immediately go to kaylin joke i mean yeah there, there's it, it there's no way around it um you know and unfortunately a lot of his a lot of his stuff has that dark gothic and you know pseudo industrial atmosphere the builds are there and his vocals um, up until this point have usually been like, you know, ghostly kind of in the background or, you know, uh, built into the expanse a little bit. Right. Um, I think with this one, though, I feel like he sort of overcame any any kind of, um, I guess, drawback from being so evocative. A lot more of his personality, I feel like, made its way into this record, uh, vocally especially. He has... Uh, He's he's definitely found more of a voice, and I don't know if that's confidence or, in this case, it was. Um, I feel like it was more psychological. Uh, a, a lot of the the contents in this record um, seem to be cathartic, and I feel like that may have sort of led him to, um, you know, see how see if he could push this project farther. You're still gonna find those connections to you know the, the music of your um that uh you know were propped up by you know industrial rock and uh goth rock and post-punk and you know yeah. all that stuff you're, you're gonna hear it it's 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 gonna happen but i will say with this record i really do feel like he found a way to work that um work all those influences into something that is uniquely his and and that's not to diminish or disparage any of his past work. I I think he's got a really solid catalog. To be honest, it's just um, I do think it took a bit for him to um, uh, I, I get I guess for him to maybe you know kind of go farther than those influences. Yeah, absolutely. And and here's the thing: if you love the heyday of industrial and even um, early dark wave, uh, you really can't go wrong with it. But that's kind of looking at it in a superficial level 
as well. Yeah. But then you kind of listen to a track like Answers that just hits you like a freight train. And then you mm -hmm. kind of think to yourself, this this could have been a single like in the mid 90s easily. I totally agree. things have changed so much uh, because it's kind of turned you know it, so much has changed but I feel like it, it definitely would have would have been a single and then there's another ones where like become the lies is another one that I like a lot which mm -hmm. is almost a complete not necessarily the, the complete opposite but it sounds more like an 80s track like I can in the vocals because Luis has a really good way of uh in terms of his vocal tonality, like he really can get into a pop realm. Like when I'm thinking about a, you know, that track, even if it doesn't sound like like you know like an '80s staple new wave track, there is a little bit there that I'm like I can hear like a little bit of Visage here or a little bit of Lords of the New Church or something like like bands that, oh, were, no. that were kind of meshing the pop side of like a punk aesthetic while doing all these. Uh, industrial experiments or, or dark wave, I should say, which was more of a thing in the early 80s. But this is what I find fascinating about it. And I'm sort of crushed that it will get dismissed in a way because it it follows the tenets of industrial in, in a way when it kind of, it, it almost disregards it in a way, just because, you know, times have changed a lot. But it, anyone who does, like I, I have a friend of mine who her favorite band is Nine Inch Nails, and I introduced her to Soft Moon. And as soon as she heard about it, she she lives in Brooklyn. She was like, "Oh my gosh, he's playing in in Brooklyn!" And she's like, "This has been like one of the best shows that I've gone in a while." <laughs> and and it was kind of in that same realm. And I feel like it's the kind of record where word of mouth will definitely uh, will definitely help uh, Luis. So. All right. Well, you heard it, people. Please, word of mouth. Check word it of out. Mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and to your point about become the lies. Yeah, that that could easily have been a single. When when like Pretty Hate Machine and Downward Spiral were inescapable. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's uh, go into another one of my picks. So this one, I think I'm going to say, is the less noisy pick of the day. And um, I am uh, referring to Unumclaw. Um, so this is a band from Washington State. Um, and I, I think there's some real, I, I think I read an interview where they weren't even from Unumclaw, but um, they felt compelled to come up with this name. But I, I wanted to bring it up because in terms of how this band has kind of 
ambitions to be something you know bigger than themselves and I really like that when bands are trying to aim for something really big I mean this is in essence it's a noise pop band but they also have a little bit of uh like fuzz pop influences I'm, I'm not I'm, I don't think it really goes into shoegaze necessarily I, I think it's more like the fuzzy late 80s kind of sound um yep. That they're trying to go for. But I think what makes Enoncloth special, in my opinion, is that their influences because they're such a young band. And when you're so when you're a young band, you don't necessarily you don't have the same maybe biases that a lot of us who are older have. <laughs> like this band loves, you know, they, they love grunge, but they also love Oasis, but they also love hip hop, you know? So it, mm-hmm. it and I think the sounds that they come uh, they come with, I, I feel like they're still kind of learning how to, they're learning how to mesh what makes their sound distinct. But yes. I think, but I think what caught my attention is the lead singer Aramis Johnson, um, who is almost a dead ringer for Jay Maskis in the way that he sounds and he sings. And this other uh, and uh, this other band that I like called Sunny and the Sunsets. I, I feel it's like a combination of those two wrapped into into each other but I'm curious also to know what you like about it because if you kind of so here's the thing the lyrical content is very you know we're 19 or 20 year olds it's a lot of like disaffected love (laughs) love songs that are very primitive but I don't know if you agree with me but even if you listen to like the early dinosaur and dinosaur junior records like Jay Maskis wasn't necessarily a, a wordsmith like he was very like on the nose with his lyrical quality as well. And I think this is something that I hear in e- in Unumclaw as well. Right. So I actually, funny enough, I, I kind of went the more the Barlow route um, oh, okay. with, with the uh, the vocals. Um, musically, I hear Bob Mould. Yeah. Um, and I also heard, funny enough, um, I, I think they tend to sound a little more blur than Oasis to be honest, because I actually do hear a tinge of Damon Alburn as well. Yeah. Um, but to your point about the vocal melodies, the f- yeah, I I I did start to, the fact that the vocal melodies don't change much did start to kind of become very, not, I don't want to say obvious, they just sort of ran, it, it sort of ran prevalent as every song went on. It was like, you know, obviously the lyrics change, but the vocals, the, the vocal patterns don't necessarily and then I did also think about like the first time I heard maybe you're living all over me or bug. Right. And right. Back that yes, the yeah, the vocal patterns weren't necessarily different. A lot of the enunciations were, you know, ran pretty similarly, you know, from track to track. Um, so I could absolutely forgive that. I do think this this did lose a little steam for me. Um, yeah. I think I, I did like it more on the first listen. Uh, I do think it's a strong debut. Um, and to your point about them being a young band, I think they have, you know, I, I think they got the talent and they have plenty of time to grow into this. I think my biggest issue with this record, honestly, is the production. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Because to, <laughs> to your point about it being like noise pop or like fuzz pop, I feel like they're trying in some points, like especially that track Cowboy Bebop. I did notice like a couple of days ago, I was listening to it and I was like, they're, they're aiming for texture, but it's 
buried in the mix. It's falling way behind the vocals and the drums, which are way up front. And it kind of, there, it sort of offers a little bit of a slickness to it that I'm not necessarily sure is the aim uh, for something like that, especially if they're going the, especially if they're going the, you know, the, the fuzzy or the grungy route. Uh, I, I just think there needs to be a little bit of dirt in this thing. There, there just isn't right now. And I feel like it was intended, but not necessarily brought to fruition or executed that way. Yeah, I think it's just that element of just that, you know, them trying to find their sound. I, I think the biggest gripe that I have with it is kind of how the drumming is pretty flat throughout because the, yes. I really like the guitar work and and maybe that was the intention. Maybe they just kind of wanted to take that approach, which is more of like a soulful kind of brunch music. But I really appreciate that. I think they're really onto something here. And I think with the next record that the production quality gets a little better as well, as you mentioned, I think they're really off to some great things. And I don't know, I, I, I and especially in an age where uh, a lot of bands are not really getting a lot of attention for for doing a, a sound that's very uh, not stuck in the not necessarily stuck in the past, but at the same time, it's uh, trying to look for new modalities and trying to do something a little bit different. I, I think they're off to a, a really good path, but and mm -hmm. you know, I think with time, I'll keep listening to the record, and I, I think I'll appreciate different aspects of it because, again, they. They've got some hooks. They've got some hooks, and they I do. think that's Absolutely. the strongest aspect of this album. Like, they want to be as big as Oasis, and I think that's, <laughs> um, I think you can see that in the hooks. But I think the presentation is probably the aspect where it needs a little bit more work, and I think in the future we'll we'll see that. So, yeah, I mean, my 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 critiques are tweaks. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not an overhaul by any stretch of the imagination. I, I do think they're onto something. Um, For sure. Again, it was just like a couple of you know small things here and there. Again, I just it, it, a lot of the a lot of the issue I have, I guess, with this record does fall on the production. Yeah. So I'm not going to blame the songwriters. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so me and Sean have like one more main pick, and I think for for this we also wanted to. Um, venture off into uh, kind of the sounds of hip-hop as well, which is a genre that we both like, but uh, which it, it's interesting because hip-hop is currently in a phase of either oversaturation or, or complete dismissal, depending on the way that you look at it. And I think our picks, I think it, Sean, uh, Sean's pick is a little bit more recognizable than mine, but I think they both stick to the tenets of what, makes true um, underground rap uh, still very prevalent in, in 2022, even if you don't hear it through so much trap, <laughs> let's be honest. But but yeah, I really like Sean's uh, uh, pick and he chose uh, Dental Curry who came out with a new album this year. Uh, and yeah, what are your thoughts about this one? Yeah, so Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. And this is apparently Denzel Curry's fifth album, and I'm I'm unhappy to have found him on his fifth album. Um, <laughs> and I do have yeah. plans to kind of explore the back catalog a bit. So this was a Bandcamp recommendation, and um, I think 
if I remember correctly, I think the first song I heard was Walkin'. I think that was oh, it. Yeah. And there was enough of a like a there was enough of a boom bap aspect to it. And I really liked the vocal melody that was looped. So I was like, I'm gonna check this out. And I did, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy the tape. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after I after I after I purchased it, I, I listened to it a bunch. Um, I think what I really like about this one, again, there's some there's a lot to it that definitely owes itself to you know what I grew up with. I guess the quote unquote golden age of hip hop. There are um, well uh, well constructed. I mean, I'm not sure how how far they went into sampling necessarily, but whether it be found sounds or what, I, I I really enjoyed how a lot of these tracks were produced. I liked a lot of how the beats were built. His flows are great yeah. um, for, for pretty much every single track. I mean, he's consistently good. Um, the um, it does breach into, I guess the, uh, the, the trap area where, you know, that you were just discussing. Um, but there is a, such a good synthesis of what I love about hip hop. And I think what is deemed modern, that I, you know, I, it just, it, it sort of changed that, um, it sort of changed my perspective a little bit, I guess, on, on, you know, uh, modern hip hop music or modern sounds in hip hop music. Um, I do tend to gravitate more toward like, um, you know, like Run the Jewels, uh, Black Thought and Danger Mouse's record is excellent. That, that yeah. I really enjoyed that one. Um, he also does a really good track with, um, uh, called Angels with Kareem Riggins. Uh, who who I've heard before, um, and there's also a track called "Mental," which uh, sounded evocative evocative of the um, the Soul Quarian era. Oh so yeah, like, for uh, sure. <laughs> it's very rootsish, which I really really enjoyed. Right. So yeah, I just feel like there there's a there's a decent amount for everyone to enjoy about this record. It doesn't alienate old fans of hip hop. And I don't think it alienates young fans of hip hop. I think it, it just sort of um, measures everything correctly. There's enough for everybody. Um, even my my typical aversion to um, auto-tuned vocals uh, wasn't really tested with this one at all. I didn't feel like I had to endure anything. It was just a really, it's a really well done album. And even friends of mine who've who've sort of relegated themselves to you know a single decade as far as their their hip-hop appreciation yeah have enjoyed this one when i've recommended it to him so so yeah uh, denzel curry has definitely um he's reached a lot of years this is this is a, an excellent release I'm, i was really happy to find this one yeah and it's interesting you mentioned that because they always mention that kind of a rocky rockist people are the ones who are stuck in their ways but hip-hop heads can can be definitely the same <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to find recommendations sometimes where people can keep an open mind and i and i think curry is bringing that into the quasi mainstream and in, in, in a way that not a lot of rappers are like you were just mm -hmm. talking about like tracks traps like uh tracks like mental like that that's it's it's interesting because it, it takes like some jazz led kind of um dives but at the same time it just takes it in these new directions you know and and satoshi is another one that i really like that is also works with a lot of introspection but it it it, it also has like an element of just like his bars are very in your face and 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 he's 
he's he's very dominant at that at the same time but i feel yes. but at the same point that you're talking about like this still can appease to a lot of people who like more of the modern production sounds of of today um yes. it's just that he's just doing it differently right i i mean um you know there's also a, a haziness to to some of the tracks too i think taboo was another one that it kind of uh, also stuck out with me and even if he's like the main architect of of all this I think he brings a lot into a lot of the features on the record mm -hmm. like you see a lot of people that you wouldn't necessarily it's all over the place right like I think T-Pain is on it but Sal Williams is on it as well and, exactly yeah. and just in that vibrancy he's just he's bringing his own voice he's making it in, in, in a way where um his personality is very well defined and and I think he brings the best out of the features that he brings into the record too. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I I didn't feel like the the features overwhelmed it at all. Sometimes it sometimes features tend to take something over to the point where you forget who you're listening to. And yeah, and yeah, and and he has features as uh, I guess I don't want to say they're disconnected, but yeah, you mentioned Saul Williams. He has T-Pain. He also brought in like Jid and like there's new voices on here, but, you know, but some attention paid to like, uh, I guess, established underground people as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for bringing this one. And I, and I guess, I guess my pick is um, an older artist, but who's still making new things. And uh, his name is Ka. He's a a uh, Brooklyn rapper who goes by Kasim Ryan, who's uh, who's been pretty much I, I think he's 50 at this point. So, so he's been uh, he's been at it for a while. But I, I think I think to me, um, what what makes Kai interesting, uh, he released two albums this year and which very similarly to to Billy Woods, who we've talked about on the pod before. And that's why I didn't bring him up. Uh, they're both kind of in their in their face where they're doing some of their strongest work. And, and, and Ka released two albums this year. One's called Language Arts and the other one's called Woeful Studies. And I think similar to the Woods albums as well, who also for some reason released two LPs. I don't know if that was mm -hmm. orchestrated <laughs> because they're both from New York, right? But um and they're both great. And they're both great, yeah. Um but I, I think I think the main draw with is that he writes very thoughtful stories and prose and passages that are that just kind of flow by with like incredible skill and wisdom but what makes the production very interesting about Khan especially this these two records is that it almost feels like a practically feels like an ambience record in a way and there's hardly yeah. any beats it's very extremely minimalist uh you know you can hear some samples here and there or you can hear a little boom bap sometimes as well, but the music is incredibly dour. But then you also hear like these Delta Blue samples, which I don't know if that makes it even even more cheerful or not. I mean, there's there's a there's a there's an undertone there of a sadness in there too. But you know, it, it, I like those just these little injections, like either like a Delta Blue sample or like a piano plank here and there. And uh, but the, it, it still maintains that dour kind of atmosphere which I think feels a little claustrophobic in a way it, it's almost like uh, I don't know like maybe watching a Bellatar film <laughs> where, where it just feels like very suffocating but at the same time that's what I love about it because the music sometimes makes me feel visibly uncomfortable because he just has a way of 
making you think and see things differently and makes you question things. It's not an easy listen, but at the same time, he's just tapping into so many aspects of, of, of so, more socially con conscious rapping, but in a way that sometimes I'm, I'm just like bewildered by, by just the skill that he writes. And it's, and, and again, maturity brings wisdom as well, right? And, uh, and that's something that you can say about him for sure. Yes. Um, so as with Curry, I definitely came into this pretty late too. And I feel even worse about this one because you just said he's 50 years old. Yeah. So language arts, yeah, a, a complete, well, almost complete absence of conventional beats. Um, he is finding his own rhythm on top of orchestration, sometimes just ensemble level instrumentation. Sometimes yeah. it's a piano, sometimes it's a floating flute. Uh, sometimes it doesn't really seem like there's much structure at all. He's still finding a way to deliver these these like remarkably built stanzas, and they never feel out of place or off kilter. It's it just it's it's remarkable how he can find the pocket pretty much every every single time with every bar. Again, because there's I mean. It, I almost want to accuse him of using a click track because he's just so on. Like, I'm not, I don't know where he's finding, you know, where to place everything, but he's doing it so well. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, he's been around for a long time. So, you know, it's probably second nature to, you know, to construct his, his poetry around instrumentation that wouldn't necessarily support it, you know, to, uh, I guess, conventional ears, but like, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And it's it's another one like I I I checked this out and I want to pick it up and I want to yeah. give it more of a listen honestly because uh, because I you know I focused on the lyrics but then also was so captivated by the music I had a hard time figuring out where to put my attention so I kind of want to give it more listens just so I can kind of give it you know give it a, a yeah. fair you know a, a, I guess a fairer assessment but I mean. From just just from the get go, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a beautiful record. Not to sound cliche about it, but uh, just just how it's assembled. Yeah, I, I'm just really impressed by it. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think this is another one that um, I don't know. Is it? I don't even know if there's a, a a physical release for this one, but this is one that I would like to pick up. But I don't know with with these releases where I think the consistency that Call works with. I'm not I'm not sure if you would need to like wait a year maybe for to get some sort of like a special print or something, because he he has been like releasing like every other year pretty much, and uh, and uh, at this rate. Um, you know, it feels almost like like trying to to catch up. But um, I'm so I'm so happy that he's still making really thoughtful, great music that that feels direct, but also feels ominous, and also feels like you can, um, you can uh, appreciate it from from so many levels. And and yeah, absolutely, this was one of my highlights of this year. So so Sean, uh, we pretty much almost. We've talked about a lot of our picks um, before kind of we wrap it up. Do you have like any other recommendations from the year that you can kind of just let people know really quickly that uh, maybe they should check out? Do I have recommendations? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I brought up the uh, the Danger Mouse Black Thought album earlier. I really did enjoy that one. It was nice to hear 
it was nice to hear Black Thought produced, uh, you know, because normally he's in his, his uh, you know, he's in the roots. So normally supported by instrumentation. It was kind of cool to hear him as a, a solo artist, I guess. Yeah. Or in a, at least in a collaborative um, uh, environment. I also really enjoyed, uh, what was the other thing? I bought like a bunch of stuff this year and I'm like, can't remember a single thing now. Isn't that the way to go? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Um, we were talking uh, about Gorilla Toss too, right? Yes, we were. That's right. Um, yeah, Gorilla Toss's new album is their first for Sub Pop, and actually, it's a good. It's I think, I think where they're where they've gone with their music at this point, Sub Pop is a really good platform for them. Um, up until this point, it's been very um, like ESG, uh, liquid liquid level funk and art rock, and they've kind of grown into a very interesting uh, it's still art rock i guess but it, it's it's definitely more accessible it's definitely more melodic it, it's it's hard to it's hard to categorize because you know where it comes from but at the same time you're not necessarily sure what to call it it's still danceable yeah um a lot of the funk elements are largely abandoned at this point um but there's still a lot of like i, I guess can inspired rhythms and and things of that nature. So um, there's quite a bit for the ears to enjoy uh, from that standpoint. I, I I consider it a headphones record. Yeah, it's very collage-y. Like it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it can kind of blend in from beginning to end. It doesn't necessarily have like a, a song structure necessarily. So it's an right. interesting one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks for that. I mean, I have some other recommendations. Uh, there was a four piece from Ireland called Gilliband that um, I'm still kind of listening at as we go. They had a new one called Most Normal, which um, very kind of abrasive record. I, I think if you kind of like the music of maybe bands like Jesus Lizard and McGlusky, I think you were, that's kind of in the same, uh, they're tapping in that kind of territory. And, and I think uh, that one is really good too. Um, I feel like I should mention the the new Trail of Dead album uh, as well is really good, which it's called uh, it, it's called Eleven, I believe. And that one uh, they kind of went for a quadrophonic like rock sound with this one, which it, they tend to be known for like their punk elements and also their progier kind of excursions. But I think with this one they they tap into like some like traditional 70s rock like deep purple but at the same time they're still kind of maintaining all those uh touchstones of what makes that band special in my opinion but i i, I really want to get that one vinyl because i want to see how it's how they recorded that quadraphonic sound and i'm really interested to 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 hear it as well um so yeah those are our picks i think we i think we covered a lot right Sean? i think there's a lot here that people can yeah we covered quite a bit for sure quite a bit yeah so so yeah thanks for thanks for uh coming in if you want to check out sean's work i mean he he does some writing for no report sometimes uh like a lot of us sometimes we may be a little lapsed here and there but you know sometimes we make our glorious return and we go back to writing right so uh, yeah I'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping to be more active next year um the last uh you know three or four it's just been very you know i've been inundated with my day job pretty much so oh yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah same here. hoping <laughs> yeah i'm hoping i can find a, a, a decent pace uh next year and um hopefully you know contribute more but you do have a blog also, right? Letters from a Tapehead. How's how's that going? Because you've it's been running for a while too. Yeah, it's sporadic, but um, but I do try to keep it up to date. Um, 
I also did recently start, you know, I joined the kids basically and started a TikTok channel. So you can find that at, at Letters from a Tape as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. So yeah, that does it for our today's episode of Quarantine the Past. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks so much. Quarantine the Past is hosted by David Coleman, Juan Rodriguez, Joe Rivers, and Gabby Nirenberg. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, preferably a good one, and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Quarantine the Past Pod. And remember, while you can never quarantine the past, we can at least keep your music taste up to date. Thanks for listening.